Our next guest will be on the play-by-play call. He is Joey Mack, joining us from Eugene. Joey, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Good, Judah. How are you doing? Doing well. I understand you had a pretty late night last night calling uh, the Duck baseball home opener. Pretty good result for game number one, right? Yeah, 10 runs second inning is uh, never a bad thing. Uh, I think that George Horton would probably tell you he'd like to see <laughs> maybe a little more sustained offense, uh, but ultimately winning 14 to nothing is never a bad thing. This is the time of year where you get a lot of overlap. It's always fun. How cold was it last night at PK? Uh, it was in the high 30s uh, with a little bit of wind chill. Uh, it wasn't too bad, though. I mean, I'm spoiled. I'm up there in the press box with the nice air conditioning and the heat when it's Nice and cold, so it's always uh, easier for me to be out there, whereas the guys, uh, I always, I remember last year, at least, I got a hard time because I, <laughs> I said, third base coach, Jay Ullman, I said, that's a cold-looking Jay Ullman down there. And a lot of people said, well, hey, you can't go saying that. You're in the warm press box. And I said, yeah, that's true. That's true. And <laughs> I've never forgotten that. You got to rub it in when you can, man. I mean, that's that's part of the perks of the job. You get to uh, true. stay sheltered. <laughs> that's true. Um, thankfully, all basketball games are played indoors. And as we pivot to uh, the Ducks hoops program, obviously a big road trip coming up. But if you can take me back to Saturday, Joey, and the environment of, of what Matthew Knight was like when all the controversy swirling around Sean Miller and DeAndre Ayton and the University of Arizona and the Ducks end up pulling out that thrilling victory at home. What was that environment like? It was awesome. Um, I think that that felt like Matthew Knight Arena of, of last year. And, you know, being undefeated at home, obviously that's going to bring a lot of fans. But it, it's kind of a, a vicious circle for opposing teams because the Ducks continue to win at home, then more fans show up, and the Oregon continues to win at home because fans keep showing up. I think it's kind of that vicious cycle with the uh, with the attendance and just with how things usually go is, success ends up fueling success sort of a thing. And I thought that it was a great environment. And, you know, I will say the pit crew, uh, that was probably the best showing from the pit crew because they got a little creative with all the controversy around this Arizona program. They were given Sean Miller, DeAndre Ayton, and uh, Alonzo Trier a hard time with a few different, uh, shall we say, creative ideas. <laughs> and I thought that that made it kind of fun. You know, you don't want to see a lot of controversy around basketball, especially this year, I think, with the FBI investigation, there's there's been such a black cloud over college basketball this year. It's been kind of unfortunate, but I will say uh, tip of the cap to the pit crew for some creative thoughts, that's for sure. I know Dana Altman's close to Sean Miller, and uh, they've got history connected with one another going back a ways, and he's always professed a lot of respect for Arizona. So what were kind of his sentiments after the game Saturday amidst everything that's been um, going on with the Arizona program? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I asked Coach Altman on our pregame interview, just, you know, hey, obviously you don't have two guys there on the bench for Arizona that you normally would have, meaning Trier and, and Sean Miller. And, you know, Dana Altman didn't even talk about Sean Miller when I asked him about it. He just talked about what was going on on the floor with Alonzo Trier not being out there. That's all he was really thinking about was the X's and O's of, what it means to not have Trier out there for that Arizona team. And then I talked to him for the coaches show yesterday for tip off Tuesday. And, you know, he, he said, there's just a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty. I, I haven't asked him specifically if he's talked to Sean Miller about everything that's going on, but they, you're right. They do have a lot of respect for each other. You never hear a post game interview with either Dane Altman or Sean Miller after a Oregon, Arizona game where one does not compliment the other and compliment the other's team. So, 
you know, I imagine that just like with a lot of coaches and their relationships with their peers around the country this year with all these investigations going on, I imagine that a lot of them are all kind of walking on eggshells with each other because they don't really know when's the next big report going to come out. You know, when's Pat Forty for Yahoo Sports going to write another one? When's the next ESPN article going to come out? I mean, it it really has been kind of a snowball effect this year. And, it, and I think the unfortunate thing is that it's, it's been over a long period of time. And honestly, Judah, I don't see this ending anytime soon. I think this is going to be going on for the next few seasons as a lot of these criminal cases now. I mean, these will take a while to – go through the, <laughs> the the system, if you will. And I think we're going to be hearing about this for a long time. Voice of Oregon basketball, Joey Mack joining us right here on the game. You can hear Joey coming up Thursday night, 5.30 pregame, 6 o'clock tip via Oregon IMG when uh, the Ducks visit Washington State. And then again Saturday, a 4.30 tip when the Ducks visit the Huskies. Uh, Joey, quick note from that Arizona game, the fact that Elijah Brown went for 30 points and Mikhail McIntosh, 20 points for himself. I know these are two of the more seasoned, more experienced guys, uh, guys that uh, a lot was expected from this year, given their level of experience and the fact that they were trying to be instant impacts uh, on this program and their one and only year in Eugene. How important is it for both of those guys to keep playing at a high level and ensure this uh, Oregon's team success this week? Well, I think that when Oregon was struggling at times earlier this year, a lot of it was due to the fact that Mikhail McIntosh and Elijah Brown weren't having their greatest games. I think that Mikhail McIntosh in the last month or so has developed into one of the Ducks' best and, and, and really most key players just because of his presence inside. Even though he's an undersized four, he's so physical on the post and he has such a veteran presence that I think that goes a long way. And you know, I've looked back at a lot of the box scores this year and the games where Elijah Brown is feeling it and hitting shots, those are games that Oregon wins. And, and I think that in games that Oregon's lost in those close contests, a lot of those have been when Elijah Brown's had an off night. And I think that a lot of that is just because of the veteran presence, as you mentioned. These are guys that are graduate transfers and they came to Oregon to go to the NCAA tournament and try and make an impact in their final year of college eligibility. And I think that they have done that at times, but it's been the inconsistency, particularly for Elijah Brown, I think that, you know, he, he's certainly wanted to make a few more consistent impacts on the team. And so the 30 points against Arizona, the Ducks certainly needed that because, you know, honestly, the last couple of weeks, the Oregon freshman core has not performed as well. Victor Bailey Jr. hasn't been scoring off the bench the last few weeks as much as he was earlier in the season. Troy Brown Jr., I think, hasn't been scoring as much lately, but... He's done a few things to affect the box score in other positive ways, rebounding the ball and with the assists. And the other one is really Kenny Wooten. I mean, Kenny Wooten generated a lot of defense, and that's what got him into that starting lineup. But Kenny Wooten hasn't scored as much and hasn't rebounded as much, I think, as the Ducks would like. And so when Oregon has struggled, particularly on that Los Angeles road trip where the Ducks really needed to get at least one of those close games, they lost them both, I think that the – the freshmen did not have a great road trip. And so the freshmen are still trying to, <laughs> I guess, figure out, similar to Elijah Brown, the consistency and the ups and downs of a season. And that's where Oregon really this year, I think, was planning on and in some ways needed to lean on Mikhail McIntosh and Elijah Brown as grad transfers. And I don't know if that was, if that's been maybe a little too much because teams kind of know what Elijah Brown is and Mikhail McIntosh has been in a lot of physical contests this year to try and get his, if you will. So, you know, I think that those guys are going to be huge down the stretch. They need to continue to play like they did 
this past weekend uh, because especially on the road against the Washington State team that's been playing really well of late, they had a chance at the buzzer to beat Stanford at Stanford, which would have been a huge win. They've been playing much better the last couple weeks, and they're a team that shoots a lot of threes. And so when they're at home, they play much better at home under Ernie Kent. They're a team that shoots a lot of threes, and so you got to be able to weather the storm, answer with a few threes of your own. And I think that's where Elijah Brown's going to be a big key on Thursday. And similarly against Washington, that zone has been outstanding for Mike Hopkins. I think he's the Pac-12 coach of the year up there at Washington in his first year after coming over from Syracuse. That zone really does a nice job shutting some things down. Oregon did a great job operating against it with Troy Brown Jr. working at the free throw line. But Mikhail McIntosh really drew that defense, and, and I think that that's going to go a long way just for this weekend. Plenty is on the line with the standings this week, and given the fact that Oregon really controlled the matchups when the Huskies and Cougars traveled down to Eugene, respectively, earlier this month, I know that this team won't be overconfident based on those results, but do you think that the Ducks are feeling good about the way they match up with the Huskies and Cougars, given the results of those games in February? I think they feel good, one, because they do match up well, but two, because of the success. Um, I think that you're onto something there because, you know, to me, a, a team that shoots a lot of threes, Oregon consistently this year has been one of the better teams at defending the three. Mm-hmm. It's been teams that get out in transition that's really hurt Oregon, and that's what Washington State does also. They like to go in transition and take a lot of threes. So I think that if Oregon can simply be the better team, which they are talent-wise, and not let the Cougars get going in transition and hitting some of those threes, then they're going to be just fine. Um, Now, I I do think that Oregon matches up well with Washington because they've played pretty well against zone defenses. I asked a couple weeks ago Dane Altman about the the splits again and the offensive success for Oregon against either a zone or a man, and he said the numbers actually say that they're about equal against both. And I was interested by that because I have felt like Oregon has done a better job against zone defenses at times this year, but... Then as I started thinking about it, and Coach Altman brought that up with me, you know, Oregon has seen zone a lot more. And I thought that that was interesting because Oregon doesn't really have the type of team that they don't have the kind of big man, I guess, where you normally say, oh, you got to zone these guys, you know. Because Oregon, although they haven't been a great three-point shooting team this year, they've got guys that can knock it down. I think that really the, the reason that for my thought of inconsistency with the – Oregon offense against the zones and and playing really well, it it honestly came down to Oregon's inconsistency shooting the three, and that's why the numbers have ended up being kind of a wash when they go against the zone or a man. I hope that made sense. But I think that ultimately with this this Washington matchup, they do match up well because they can stick Mikhail McIntosh and Troy Brown Jr., guys that are good passers and also can hit those mid-range jump shots at the free throw line. They can stick those guys in the middle of the zone, and they don't have to rely on the three because – Washington, in the majority of conference games this year, has held their opposition under their average from three, and they're doing that again with a zone defense. So that, that tells you, I think, what that Syracuse zone has, has brought to Washington, and they've got a lot of length. They've got the right personnel to run it. But I do think that Oregon matches up well from a personnel standpoint, also from a confidence standpoint, even though this is a game that Washington has to win. I mean, Oregon's probably still on the outside looking in at the NCAA tournament unless they win the Pac-12 tournament, in my opinion. But Washington could still find a way in, and they're going to have to win the next two games at home against the Oregon schools. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. I know Washington's RPI currently tied for 49th with Boise State, and but 
both the Huskies and Ducks with identical 9-7 and seven records in the Pac-12. And, Joey, you alluded to it, but if you take a bird's-eye view of where the Pac-12 stands right now, and only one team in the top 25 in Arizona, who is currently embattled, to say the least, at 12-4 and four in the conference. And then USC at 12-5, and five, dealing with their own health in- issues, Benny Boatwright in particular. Stanford sitting there at 10-6, and six, but they got to finish with road games at Arizona and Arizona State. Not easy for anyone. And then UCLA and Utah at 10-7, and seven, right behind them. I mean, what do you make of this jumbled Pac-12? It's been jumbled all season long for the most part, but especially now as we enter the final re- week of regular season play and move in toward the uh, Pac-12 tournament in Vegas. And one, what are your thoughts on the fact that it's, there's so much parity? Two, how important is it in your mind for the Ducks to slide into that top four range and get a bye? Well, I think that getting into the top four would be great. I'm not sure that it's going to happen um, because ultimately if you get into the top four, I think that it just helps you from a, a rest standpoint. You don't have to play that extra game in, in Las Vegas. But, you know, the other thing for me with Oregon in, in terms of getting into – the tournament is they just need to be positioned in such a way that I think they match up with USC. I honestly think that Oregon can beat USC. I think that the Ducks had a couple get away against the Trojans this year, both at home and on the road. As you mentioned, without Benny Boatwright, I think that's a different USC team. And then with everything going on with Arizona, who knows what the heck that Wildcat team is going to look like. I think that Arizona is the one team that separated itself from the conference. I think the rankings have told you that. My eyes have told me that. Dane Altman agreed with me when I talked to him about this yesterday. And I think that, you know, with, with, with everything uncertain in the conference and because the Pac-12 has been such a eat-yourselves-alive kind of conference this year, I think that, the, that anyone could win the Pac-12 tournament this year. Um, the, the, whatever happens this last weekend, it's going to be interesting because I, I think Washington has to win their last two. Uh, if they want any shot of getting in, I think that USC needs to make a strong push. You know, it's interesting, too. I think that people forget the Pac-12. Oregon didn't have the strongest non-conference schedule, but the Pac-12 in general had some good ones. I mean, Washington and Arizona State both beat Kansas at Ellen Fieldhouse this year. Kansas just won the Big 12 again. And it seems like everybody, though, looks at the Pac-12 and it's like, eh, the Pac-12 isn't very good. Well, they have two teams that won on the road at Kansas, a traditionally very hard place to play. And I think that a lot of people have forgotten that Oregon and the rest of the Pac-12, <laughs> they've got some pretty good non-conference wins. Now, the Ducks, they're kind of the outlier from that, though, I think. that Of the teams that are in the conversation of getting in, the Ducks don't have that big non-conference resume. So I do think that the Pac-12 might be getting a little bit of a underappreciation for that early non-conference success, but the reason for that is because it's been such a balanced league. And you know, ultimately, I think right now Arizona's going to get in. I think Arizona State's going to get in because of that non-conference slate. I, I do probably think that the team that I'm most interested in watching finish the season is Utah. I actually think that Utah might be able to make a run in the Pac-12 tournament and, and get into the NCAA tournament. USC and UCLA, Washington, I think they're all pretty close. We'll have to see what happens without Boatwright for USC. Um, you know, so I don't know. It, it, it's been interesting to watch this year. I, I think that the Pac-12 will probably end up with maybe four in, but it wouldn't shock me if it's three. It wouldn't shock me if it's five. I think it all depends on what happens around the rest of the country, how many at-large spots are open. And, you know, heck, who knows? Oregon could could build some momentum here. They could win their final two on the road against the Washington schools. And then, man, it wouldn't shock me if Oregon went and won the Pac-12 tournament with how balanced it's been this year.
Yeah, it's been a very intriguing landscape, not only in the Pac-12, but across the country. Gotta like your call on Utah, sitting there at 10-7 and 7 right now, and an RPI of 51. Uh, fascinating to see UCLA, also 10-7, and 7, an RPI of 52. Both yeah. of those programs only have one game this week. UCLA is at USC, and Utah gets to host Colorado. So, yeah, definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. Hey, Joey, thanks a lot for being generous with your time this morning uh, right after calling that Duck baseball game last night. Good talking to you, man, and uh, we'll be tuning in for your call. 5.30 pregame Thursday, 6 o'clock tip on the Palouse, and then Saturday a 4 o'clock pregame and 4.30 tip on Oregon IMG. Thanks a lot, Joey. Thanks, Judah. appreciate it. Have a good one.